Well, this has been a good ride. I'm going to finish up this morning a series of messages that we're calling Extravagant Welcome because God said this in the, in the Word. It says that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Catch that. That we are ambassadors for Christ. It's risky to be an ambassador these days. Cost you everything. The Bible says we're ambassadors for Christ. We're not from here anymore, are we? Our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible says that. We're still here, but we're not from here anymore. And while we're here, we're ambassadors for Christ. The rest of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, as though God were making his appeal through us. God has this incredible love and grace to offer to the whole world, and we are his ambassadors as though he is making his appeal through us. So it's been my pleasure to walk us through these extravagant welcome series because, you know, at the beginning of being an ambassador is welcoming people, welcoming those who need asylum, welcoming those who need safety, welcoming anybody who comes. And our first act as ambassadors for Christ is to have hearts of extravagant welcome. Not discriminating against any person on the basis of anything we see or anything we even know about them. But equally, authentically welcoming to every person that God would bring in front of us. And not just here as we're here as a fellowship, which it has to happen here, or we don't get to stay who we are. But also out there, you know, in the world, at work and in your neighborhood and in your family. Does anybody have any extra grace-required family members? Some of you are that person. (laughs) And the call of God on us is to be welcoming. So it's been a pleasure to walk through this series over these last seven weeks. And, and you guys make this easy. I need to thank you for that. This is, this is not a hard lesson for you guys because you are, and I think here's why. I think it's because you are so naturally grateful for what God has done and is doing in your lives that it's like, who would I be not to welcome every wayward son that comes back, right? Who would I be? Because of what God has done. I'm no better than anyone else. I may be better off than I was before, but I'm not better. My worth hasn't changed. (laughs) So what I'd like to do today to wind things up is to look for a third time at this parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 15. If not, you can just listen along and we'll even put pieces of it up on the screen here as we go along. It's a pretty famous story that Jesus told about a wealthy father who had two sons and one of his, the younger of the two sons came and said, I want everything that I'm going to have coming to me upon your death. I want that now. And he took his inheritance and He went off, and the Bible says he squandered it in crazy living. 
just wasted. He blew through the whole fortune. Some of you in this room know how fast you can go through money when you are the center of your universe, don't you? It's frightening. And the kinds of things it can even drive us to do when we are caught up in that deception. And so you have no problem, none of us probably, least, least of all me, have any problem relating to this, this wayward son. But in the course of time, he decided this was not good. And he repented, and he wanted to go back. And he said he'd rather be a servant in his father's house than to be out here without him. So he came back, and you know we looked at how he had this well-rehearsed apology about, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he got back there, and the father said, I don't want to hear your apology. We're just going to have a party because you've come back. Quick, get the robe and the ring and the calf, and let's have a party. And so we see these figures, you know, in terms of us as a church and us as believers, followers of Jesus, it's like uh, we see these people in this parable that Jesus told the father who, of course, represents God, and he's just always, always, always looking for the wayward sons to return. And that could be you today. It doesn't matter how far off you are, the Father's looking for you to return. And catch this, it doesn't matter how many times you've come and gone. You can't burn your bridge with God. So it's just about, it's about turning. It's about turning and coming back because the Bible says the Father's always looking and we get to represent as though God were making his appeal through us. We live our lives and we're always just looking for the wayward son, yeah? As a fellowship, you know, as a gathered church, but in everything we do, we're just always looking. God, who, who, could, I, who could I embrace in your name? Welcome home. And this son who came back with this, I'm not worthy to be your son nonsense. And the father said, no, but you are my son, and you don't get to decide whether you're worthy or not because only I get to decide that, and God has decided you are worthy irrespective of your behavior. And you can't sin your way out of the love of God. Your experience with him will definitely change. It'll be different. But your worth doesn't change. And so we welcome Everybody who comes here, irrespective of their behaviors, irrespective of their lifestyle, irrespective of anything, because we're not looking at the wrapper. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, and that's where the sacred center is. The image of God is. That's where the redemption occurs. That's where Jesus lives, where the Holy Spirit dwells. That's what's going to go to heaven after this. And so we... We embrace everybody the same because our worth is the same, irrespective of how clean or dirty the wrapper is. And so that's what we learned so far, which hasn't been a bad trip. Eh? Hello? I think I'm preaching better than your amening. <laughs> Today, let's look at the third character in this parable of the prodigal son and the least discussed, I think, of all the teachings and messages I've ever heard on the parable, I hear the least about this older brother. There's an older brother, and I really love it that Jesus included him. I think, to be honest, when he laid it right out there, I'm always honest, to be candid, I think that what, uh, what he was doing was taking a shot at the Pharisees. Oh, jeez. Turn, turn that off for today, okay? No, I'm just kidding. 
you know, Jesus was taking a shot at these overly religious people who were very sour in their walk with God. (laughs) You guys crack me up. Because he, he talks about somebody who wasn't excited about this wayward son return. And we're going to see what happens. But this older brother, somehow he couldn't, he couldn't let himself go to the party. He couldn't let himself be a part of the celebration. He couldn't get excited about the wayward son's return because he had other things going on in his mind and his heart that prevented him from taking part in this radical welcome, this extravagant prodigal welcome of the prodigal son. And so he actually resented his return and he became jealous of the father's exuberance, I think, over this returning son. Reminds me a little bit of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Anybody read that? It's just a little book. Take it on if you haven't read it. Just a little shorty. And I was pretty well known that you know, Jonah was this reluctant prophet, and God said, go to Nineveh and tell him to repent. And he said, I don't think so. <laughs> I think he had something against the Ninevites. I really do, because of the way it winds up, but... So he takes off on a ship and God sees that he gets thrown overboard because of a storm and a giant fish comes and swallows him up and pukes him up on the shore of Nineveh and says, I told you you were going to Nineveh. (laughs) And so he's kind of like, well, while I'm here, I might as well say repent. So he preaches, he goes through the city, up and down through the city saying, repent, repent, repent. You know what they do? They repent. They repented. And you'd think Jonah would be happy about this. But he goes up on a hillside and he overlooks the city and he sits down under a tree and he goes, I knew that's what would happen. <laughs> and he's, he's upset about this repentance. Kind of reminds me of this older brother in the field who can't get excited about the wayward son's return. There's something going on in his heart that doesn't allow him to enter into that. Think about it. Has something like that ever happened in your life where you haven't been able to get excited right away about somebody that's coming back? I mean, you're out there, you're doing the stuff, you're reading your Bible, you're going to stinking church, you're doing the whole thing, you're giving your tithe, you're, you're cranking it out, right? Well, so-and-so is out there, la-da-da-da, living the life you secretly wish you could live. And then they come back and they give their life to Jesus and everybody starts crying and shouting and celebrating. Has that, something like that ever happened to you? That happened to me with my father, my own dad. I was the first one to come to Jesus in our family. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. <laughs> well, that explains a lot, right? <laughs> I didn't ever go to church, so I don't know. I don't know what church is supposed to be like. I think this is what it's supposed to be like. Uh, anyway, I, I learned about Jesus through Karen, who was my girlfriend at the time. Now she's my wife. At the end of the month, we'll celebrate 40 years. I love to say that. It sounds like I'm bragging, because I am. I, I, I just love to say it out loud, though. Yeah, I, that's just, that's grace of God. I mean, somebody said you should get a medal. I said, no, Karen should get a medal for crying out loud. But anyway, so we were teenagers when we started, yeah. We were teenagers when we started, which is why we have this youthful appearance and able to say 40 years of marriage. But 
So I was the first one to come to Jesus. Karen's family and contacts introduced me to Christ, and I was born again. I came home. I was pretty excited about it. I was telling my family about it. And, you know, I used to hear my dad say Jesus Christ all the time, but it wasn't in prayer. And, you know, so I was an outcast. And a little, after a little while, my younger brother came to Jesus. And I just kept following Jesus and, you know, went and got married and went to college and went to seminary and completed a Master of Divinity degree and started pastoring a church. I was doing the work. Man, I was doing the work. And it was way before I had any kind of relationship with Jesus like I have now. It was a very religious kind of relationship, you know. Study the Bible, say the words, tell people about Jesus, pray your prayers, pay your tithe, teach Sunday school, do the thing. Come on, come on, come on. I don't know if you can relate. But it was way before I understood that it's not about that. It's about God's love for me and the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And So I'm cranking this out, this walk with God. And then through, actually it was through the birth of our second son who was born prematurely. Bruce nearly died. That was before he served seven years here on our staff as our children's pastor. It has a good outcome. But it was through that that my parents were thrown into, into the kind of you know, chaos that caused them to turn to Christ. My parents gave their lives to Jesus. At first I, yeah. Oh, oh, wait, shut up. No, shut up. No. At first I was like pretty excited about it. They gave their lives to Jesus, right? Good, good. And then my dad... He fell into this group of people called the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. You ever meet some of these freakazoid Pentecostals? I mean, these guys are these guys are like off the <laughs> they're off the chart filled with the Holy Ghost and all speaking in tongues and laying hands on people and getting healed and stuff. And my dad falls into this thing and he gets all jazzed. <clears throat> so then he comes out of that thing preaching to me. He says, Tom, you, you don't have it all yet, man. You've got to get the rest of it, man. You. And I, I, in my mind, I'm like, I don't remember seeing you in seminary, Pa. You know, uh, I, don't, I remember seeing you in class. I don't remember any of this. But I, I really resented it. It was hard. And then my dad, who was a successful design engineer, very successful in the aircraft industry, he retired in his early 50s after he met Christ and met the Holy Spirit. And he, in the little group of churches he was in, he read a couple books and they wrote him out a pastor certificate and he became, they gave him a church. He became the pastor of a church. I'm like, well, this sucks. I didn't know there was a lot shorter way to do this. And then over time, just because I, even in my work ethic, I had a heart for Jesus and was pursuing Jesus. Over time, the Holy Spirit kept sneaking into my life and giving me the fullness of the measure of everything that my dad had found. And the more and more that I live in the Spirit of God and the love of God, 
through his son Jesus Christ, the more I live in that, the happier I am about my dad's salvation. My dad's 84 years old. He's waiting to go to heaven. Every day, he just, I mean, almost every day, he just says, today be a good day. That's a different man. Now you can clap. (laughs) But I can connect with that. And I can connect with what happened with this older brother in this parable. I can connect that he wasn't excited about this son's return. I mean, when you're coming from where he's coming from, you can understand that. I'll tell you why I think the older brother couldn't join the party. First, because he was preoccupied with the work. He was just preoccupied with the work, and he was entrenched in the hierarchy. If you look at the passage in Luke 15, we'll start in verse 25. Meanwhile, I love it when a story has a meanwhile, don't you? It's like, oh, there's another whole part of it. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, so all this has happened. The son is gone. The wayward son is gone. He's blown all the money. He's come back. The father is, the party is happening. The party for the son's return is happening. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Well, there. He was working. He was preoccupied with the work. That's what the son was about. The son was about the work. The older son was about the work, about the work, about the work. I have this wealthy dad, and he got wealthy because he worked hard, so I'm going to work hard. I'm waiting maybe for my dad to turn and pat my head and say, you're a good hard worker, son. But whatever reason was going on there, he's about the work. He's totally focused on the work. He's out in the field. And this represents something. This represents the kind of Christian I was that thinks it's about the work. It's about keeping up. It's about getting rid of this sin in my life on my own strength so that I can present myself to God spotless and without blemish. It's about helping God with my salvation. I can connect. It says, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. What would you do if you came near your own house and you heard music and dancing? I'd go in and music and dance. What did he do? Verse 26, so he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. He was so committed to the work, he didn't even go. And he was so committed to the hierarchy, I'm going to get one of my servants to go. This is a terrible way to live our, our Christian lives, committed to the work and thinking there's some kind of hierarchy in the church. There is no hierarchy in the church. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the pastor of the church. I am not in charge here. You wouldn't want that. Jesus is in charge. Some of you have seen that. It's not pretty. I get that there's spiritual authority. I get that as God chooses, by his grace, he gifts some with this gift and others with that gift. And that because of the gifting that we have in Christ, the spiritual gifting that we have, that we have a, a realm of spiritual authority in the body of Christ. I get that, but doesn't put one above the other. Because as pastor, with a pastoral gifting, I have a realm of authority. But Nina, you have gifting, and it's different than pastoral gifting, and you have powerful gifting. And you also have authority in Christ, and you know that. You have, you have spiritual authority. 
I am not above you. You are not above me. We are brother and sister, spirit-filled, walking this out together and endeavoring to understand how our spiritual authorities mesh for God's glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. Am I right? That's what this is. People come to me all the time and say, hey, Tom, would it be okay if I'm... I'm like, I don't care. Do it, dude. What are you asking me for? You think I'm in charge? Go. All of these gifts that we have, these spiritual gifts in the Bible are called gifts of grace. So that anybody that's in any realm of spiritual authority, whatever your realm of influence is in spiritual authority, it is by the grace of God. No one has merited their position in the body. I don't know why I get to do this. I don't deserve it. I guess I'm worth it. And God, by his grace, has sown this gifting. But I don't ever want you to think that I'm in charge of the church. I'm called senior pastor because I'm old. (laughs) So this guy was all entrenched in the work and in the hierarchy. I'm going to send one of these. Man, get off of that. You'll never be a part of the welcome party if you think there's a hierarchy. You've got to find who you are in Christ. You have permission here. We are a permission-giving church. Discover your gifting. Revel in it. Develop in healthy ways your spiritual authority, and the Holy Spirit will work these gears together for his honor and glory. So I think he couldn't go to the party because of that. Second, because I think he saw himself as a slave and not as a son. If you keep reading on, it says, uh, the older brother became angry when he heard about the party and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, that's never a a good way to start a conversation with your dad. Look, (laughs) you know, where's it going to go from there? How's that going to have a happy ending? Look. All these years I've been, what? Slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. He saw himself as a slave. All the, this is, he has this resentful relationship with his father because he has to do all this work while Junior is off blowing money with girls, you know? And he's like, I've been slaving here. And he has an identity issue, doesn't he? He says, I'm a slave in this house. He had a serious, serious identity issue. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Wow, is that what you're going for, people? Is that really what your Christian life is about? So that you can say you have never disobeyed God? We've already blown it, right? The record is already ruined. So it can't be about that. And if it is possible for us to never disobey God, we don't need Jesus. But because it's not, we need Jesus and his grace and his shed blood. All these years I've been slaving and never disobeyed your orders. This characterization of himself. Check, Check this out. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Why? Why do you think this was true? It's because a slave would never ask for a goat. A son would. A son would just go and get it. But a slave would never consider himself as someone who had the right to ask for something like that from their master. He said, but when this son of yours, catch that, when this son of yours, 
who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. When this son of yours, and he differentiates himself from the brother, that son that you have, I'm the slave, and when that son comes back, you do this. And he couldn't go to the party because he was a slave in his mind. John 15, 15. What if we went with the words of Jesus who said, Hey, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends. friends Jesus has friended you dude yes yes, he has friended you Rich would like to be your friend Jesus (laughs) this is the characterization of the relationship with Jesus, that he's our friend. And this guy thought he was a slave. And as long as we think we're slaves, we'll never go to the party. As long as we're you know, focused on the work. Now, there's work to be done, yes? I mean, it's an easy trap to get into because if you think about it, we have important work to do. But the work has to come from our relationship of grace. It can't try to produce something that isn't there. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So it's by grace. You know what the next verse says in verse 10? It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And you say, Well, there, there are works. We got work to do. Yes, we have works. But only if it comes from the verses before it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. When the salvation, when the redemptive work of Christ is sure and solid in our hearts by his grace, and we stop trying to save ourselves and let Jesus fully be the Savior in our lives, and from that place we become God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus and ready to do good works because they flow from being saved. They're not an effort to try to be saved or remain saved. Does that make sense? Say yes or I'll start the whole message again. And I think that thirdly, he couldn't go to the party because this older son failed to realize that all that the father had was already his, which is, look at how the father responds in verse 31. He says, my son, he starts with my son. This, father, this, this older brother is like, I'm a slave. You have that son, but I'm a slave. And he goes, my son. You see, even his rebellion didn't break his sonship. Even his rebellion didn't change his essential worth to the father. My son. You catching that? Is that going somewhere? I'm just giving you Bible. My son, the father said, you are always with me. You're always with me. You know, the, your brother went away for how long? Maybe years, we don't know. But he went away long enough to blow the fortune. And you know what the older brother had that the son can never get back? And that's time with the father. Because you can go away and come back, but you can never get that time back. And he had that time. And so the father's saying, Son, what do you mean? We're always right here together. You, 
you always had me right here. And by the way, whatever I have, young goats, fattened calves, rings and robes, whatever I have, that's yours. It's already yours. I already gave it to you because you're my son in my company. And I think the implication is, older son, how can you be jealous of what your brother gave away? How can you be jealous of what your brother can never get back? The Bible says that God will never leave us or forsake us. The Bible says in Romans that God did not give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of slavery, but he has given us a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And it says if we are sons, then we are heirs with Christ. What he has is already ours. I sometimes wonder how much time we spend asking God for things that are already ours. <laughs> He's like, dudes, go to the shelf. So this is what we have with this older brother. He lost, he lost a capacity to enter the party. He lost a capacity to go to the party. And he did that, I think, because, because of his whole perspective of focusing on the work and all this stuff, thinking he was a slave, being resentful of this brother. I think he lost an essential element of Christian living, and that's the thing called joy. He lost his joy. It was all a big work thing for him. It was all a, you know, this for that. It's all a, well, he doesn't deserve that, and I should be. And, and he lost the essential thing that we had the day we were saved. Come on, we were goofy joyful, weren't we? We were like... I can't freaking believe this is true. I'm forgiven of all my sins and I'm going to go to heaven after this. And we had that. And then we got busy. And we got all worky. He lost his joy. And joy, listen, you need to get this. Joy is an essential element in the whole process of extravagant welcome whether it's here at this place or the people you're welcoming in your world, it has to come from a place of joy. It can't come from a place of justice. Oh, well, now we're going to straighten you out. It can't come from that place. And it can't come from a place of work. I'm so glad you've come. We need another project. You are not a project. You are a son, a daughter of the living God. Your wrapper might at this time in your life be messier than mine is, but your wrapper is not messier than mine was. And this is the work of God, not the work of man. So we need to get back in touch with that joy, don't we? Come on. We need to get back in touch with that joy. The celebration of God in our lives. We need to get back in touch... Well, how do we get joy in our lives? How do we get so we can do that? Well, I need to tell you this. It's grace that makes way for joy. It's grace that makes the way for joy. It's the grace of God that makes the way for joy. When we receive the grace of God, the Spirit of God comes. And when the Spirit of God comes, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
You read that. So we cannot study our way into joy. We cannot be counseled into joy. But grace, catch this, grace makes way for joy. And it's this joy that creates a sense of extravagant, extravagant welcome. It gives us the capacity to be welcoming. Show them what a welcomer looks like, Susan. This is a picture of our life in Christ. Listen, no one can teach us this grace-making way for joy better than our dogs. Most of our dogs are extravagant welcomers, are they not? Don't make me show you. Most of our dogs are very extravagant welcomers, and they are so glad to see us. And there is no shame in the expression of their gladness. Now, where does that come from? It comes from the fact that they fully live a life of grace. Because not one of our dogs earns their existence in our house. They are commercially useless to us. And yet, in spite of this uselessness, what do we do? We... We go and buy the food for them. We have nice places for them to sleep. And we take care of their, their health and all these things. And we spend all this money and we provide all this care for them. And they do nothing to earn it. And they are perfect examples of people who live a life immersed in grace. All they do is what? Accept it. They just show up at the bowl. And they expect there to be something in it, right? And when it's not, they're like. <laughs> and they live this whole life in the realm of God, in the realm of our grace. Now, if we know how to do this with our dogs, does not God know how to do this with his children? And that's what being a Christian is. Of course, you know, the dog does things. It sometimes brings the ball back or whatever, but that's not why you have it. So there is stuff that comes out of the relationship, but at the core of it is the grace. And these dogs live in a perpetual state of joy. And this joy, what? Overflows in extravagant welcome. I think this is the picture of our walk. Are we approaching God on the basis of our works here? Oh, these many years I have been serving you. Or are we the wayward son? Just coming home going, I just need your grace. I need you to tell me I'm worthy. I need you to accept me into your house, which he has done through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Over the years, we've seen lots of people come and go from this vineyard. I I feel like it's certainly true of every church that people come and go. I don't know how much the church in America is growing as much as it's moving that's okay. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not making a point of that. 
The point I want to make is that over these many years, I know that there have been a lot of reasons for people to come and find life and then go. And one of the reasons I've noticed that people find it hard to stay at the vineyard is because of their backgrounds, because of the legalism, because of the demands placed on them in a previous version of their walk with God, they often find it difficult or sometimes find it difficult to believe that you can be free in Christ. To really believe this message, that it's all about grace and it's about God's love and that there is no work for us to do. Our work is to receive the gift and then to live from it. And so my invitation to you, because I want all of you who are here right now to stay. I want to go to heaven with you. I don't want you to go away. My invitation is, if that's an issue for you, could you take it to God and just say, is he right? Is he even right about that? Because I heard it differently. And just ask him. I'm clean before the Lord and, and just... Understand the message that I preach to be from the Lord and from the Word. And so I am not threatened by you telling God on me. You know what he's preaching? And just see. Just see what comes back in the context of your relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But, beloved, you've got to get to this place of understanding that whatever you're facing today, whatever, you've got to ask the question, how could the grace of God change that? Some of you are at a place where you want to give your life to Jesus. You've been coming a while. Maybe it's your first time. I don't know. But you've, you're just in here and you're going, I don't know what's going on inside me. There's a stirring. I want to be a Christian. I, I, want, to, I want to do this. I want to go to heaven. I want to have my sins forgiven. I get that. Well, There's no work for you to do except to turn to God and say, give me your grace. It's your grace that I need through your son, Jesus. You know, you you may or may not even understand all those words, but follow the stirring in your heart that just says, God, I want that. I I want to be connected to you. He'll come rushing in with the Jesus part, I promise you, because it's the truth. But just turn to him and Maybe some of you need healing in your bodies. You've been tired of this diagnosis. It isn't getting healed. It isn't getting healed. Let me ask you this. Are you asking for healing or are you going to God and taking the healing from the shelf? He says, all that I have is yours. Does he, is healing God's? Then let's go and get it. Some of you maybe are caught up in the works thing still and it can be so insidious. It can be so subtle. I'm just asking you, whatever's going on in your life, how could the grace of God remedy that? What would be the impact of a, like a tsunami of the grace of God on you right now? How, what, what would you look like after that? And so as we move into just a few minutes of ministry together here, uh, I just want you to ask yourself that question. What am I facing right now that the grace of God could come and address and bless, and heal, and set me free. And then just present yourself to God and throw up your arms or at least the arms of your heart or something and say, God, just come. And then buckle up.
because life gets really interesting after that. Father, I invite your presence now. It's your grace that we need. It's your grace alone that we need. We want to please you, Lord. We, we want to live lives that please you. We don't want to sin. But we have demonstrated to you and ourselves that we're, we're powerless with some of this stuff, Lord. And so we ask for you to come and invade us with your grace and fill us with your spirit so that it's by your spirit that these things can be conquered. I pray for the ones who are at that edge of, of belief, Lord. And I pray that today would be the day that they turn themselves to you and Ask Jesus Christ to come into their lives. I pray for the ones who need healing, and especially the ones who are tired of being sick, Lord. Could you show them the perspective that they would need to receive the blessing of your grace in their illnesses today? I pray for the ones who are anxious. They've got stuff coming up that's terrifying. I pray for them, Father God, that your grace would come flooding into their lives. I pray for the ones who are stressed out, burdened with lists of things. God, would you come, let your grace come and set them free. We want to be this church of welcome, but we can't unless you give us your joy. So come, Lord, we pray. And bring your grace in great measure to us today. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Let's have some prayer ministry people. Spring up from your seats now and jump up here. Come on up here and get ready to pray for people who would like to be prayed for by you. These are men and women who have been trained by us. Some level of confidence that they have in praying for people and so they're people just like you but they've got just by their acts of coming up they have faith that God's going to do something when you come up to them for prayer so if you're a person who's facing some specific issue and you you can just connect with that boy I'd really like to have somebody pray with me about that it's not a very religious thing that we do it's very relational so uh, just feel free to come on up to any one of them and they'll be happy to pray with you church we stand together Please just stand and worship the Lord. Grace of God fall. Grace, grace of the Lord come. Just grace. Just maybe you could turn your hands up if you can do that. It's okay if you don't, but if you if you can if you feel like that'd be a good thing, just turn your hands up to the Lord and and this is a biblical posture of prayer and and just say, Lord, uh, come. Pray your own prayer to God and say, Come in your grace to me and show me. Show me, stir in me, Lord. Come in your grace. Your grace to me now.